0: Welcome back, everybody, to the Building Lifelong Athletes Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Reneke, and today we're going to be talking about something a little more medical in nature, and that topic is blood pressure. This may seem like a little boring of a topic, but I promise you it is critically important to your health and well-being, so just stick with me today as we learn about this important topic. So you might be thinking to yourself and saying, what exactly is blood pressure i know that i go to the doctor and get it checked out but what do those numbers actually mean well i assure you that these numbers aren't just made up and we don't just squeeze your arm for torture but when checking your blood pressure we're actually assessing various pressures on the heart and blood vessels of your body in a typical blood pressure reading you'll hear someone say something like 120 over 80 or 120 80. and what this means is that the systolic blood pressure is 120 millimeters of mercury and the diastolic blood pressure is 80 millimeters of mercury The systolic blood pressure, or the top number, is an indicator for how much pressure is in your blood exerting on the walls of your arteries when the heart is actually pumping. And then the diastolic pressure, or the bottom number, indicates how much pressure in your blood is exerting against the walls of your arteries when the heart is resting between beats. And the whole millimeters or mercury thing, it kind of seems weird, but it's the way we measured blood pressure back in the day when we had a mercury pressure gauge, and it was kind of the old standard that we had and it's carried forward today. We have so much historical data on it that it's just kind of the gold standard in what we use. So it sounds weird, but it's what we do. So in summary though, blood pressure is essentially how much pressure is exerted on your blood vessels when the heart is both actively pumping, known as systole, and when it's relaxing, known as diastole. So now that we know what blood pressure actually is, the next logical question is, well, why should we care about it? And the answer to that is that blood pressure control might be one of the most important risk factors you can modify to help you avoid a bunch of health problems down the road. I know I always say that everything's important, but I honestly can't stress how important good blood pressure control is. Hypertension, or the formal term for high blood pressure, is seen in about 30% of the adult population, and in 2010, it was either the primary or contributing cause of death for more than 360,000 Americans. Also, uncontrolled hypertension is a major risk factor for heart attack, stroke, congestive heart failure, and cardiovascular and all-cause mortality. To top that all off, there's no symptoms that are explicitly associated with hypertension, meaning that you could very well have hypertension and never know it until you have one of the previously mentioned issues show up later in your life. So now this isn't meant to scare you at all, but I'd rather just let you know that this isn't one of those situations where you can just wait until you don't feel right. You know, in fact, the United States Preventive Services Task Force or USPSTF for short recommends that everybody gets screened over the age of 18 for hypertension. And then from there, other risk factors determine how frequently you get checked. For example, if you're over the age of 40 or have risk factors like falling into the obese or overweight categories, if you have higher blood pressures in like the 130s or 80s or African-American, then it's recommended that you get checked every year. If you're younger than 40, don't have any risk factors like we mentioned above, then they say about every three to five years you should be checked. But from my perspective, you know, this pretty much costs nothing. So I think you should be checked every year. Finally, I also want to talk about how we actually screen for this. This can be done in a few different ways, but the main ways are either in the doctor's office or outside at home. In fact, the data seems to indicate that at-home measurements with a validated cuff seem to be just as accurate as the clinic values, and it gives the advantage of being able to get more data over a longer period of time, so this is actually what I prefer. If you're interested in getting a blood pressure cuff to check at home, you can go to validatebp.org to get a list of solid blood pressure cuffs that can be relied on. Okay, so now we know what blood pressure is and why it's important. What is actually a normal blood pressure then? There's some conflicting evidence on what, you know, a normal blood pressure is, as different societies have different cutoffs for different things. One set of guidelines called the JNC-8 says that hypertension shouldn't be diagnosed until the pressure is 140 over 90. However, the American Heart Association and the American College of Cardiology would formally diagnose hypertension at 130 over 80. Now, that might kind of seem confusing, but let's take a little deeper look as to why there might be some difference. First of all, I wanna take a step back and explain that these organizations are making recommendations for a huge amount of people. In fact, they're pretty much making these guidelines for the entire country. With that being said, their goal is to look at the population health perspective, meaning how can we do the most good for the most amount of people, and they aren't concerned with the individual cases. So the JNC8 recommendations for hypertension are based on numerous trials, but the major trial they looked at was the ACCORD trial, which didn't show statistically significant morbidity or mortality benefits in diabetics who were treated with stricter blood pressure control. On the other hand, the American Heart Association and the American College of Cardiology used the SPRINT trial to base their recommendations, which found that there were mortality benefits from stricter blood pressure control. And in fact, they felt so strongly about it that the study was stopped early because they felt it was such a huge benefit that they saw. So which one is correct? That depends on who you ask. For my personal practice, I tend to think about it as a stepwise approach to lowering blood pressure. If a patient of mine is not below 140 over 90, then that's where I start. Based on both definitions, we would know that this patient has hypertension, so it would be best to help get them lowered. Then, from there, we can have a further discussion about trying to lower their blood pressure even more if they have the capacity to do that. Ideally, I want to get my patients in step with the AHA and ACC guidelines because I feel like overall a slightly lower blood pressure is not a disadvantage and the potential benefits could be quite big. So for me, it's more of an optimization thing. If someone's blood pressure isn't controlled at all, then I'll shoot for more reasonable targets to get known improvements in the outcomes and then build confidence that we're moving in the right direction. Then if a patient wants to optimize things, I would try to work with them to try to get it even lower to minimize the risk for future issues. Now you might be asking, how low is too low? And honestly, it doesn't have a hard endpoint, but we typically say that if you are having symptoms like lightheadedness or dizziness, then we might be a bit too low. This is something you should chat with your physician about, but I did just want to mention it because it is possible to go too low, although that generally is an issue with most people as they're usually run on the higher side. I can also hear a bunch of people saying, Jordan, I get nervous when I go to the doctor and my blood pressure is elevated, then it gets better when I get home. I just have that white coat hypertension. Well, let's first define what white coat hypertension actually is for anybody who doesn't know. White coat hypertension means that you have an elevated blood pressure reading in the doctor's office, but then they appear to be normal when you go back home. Most of the time, people don't worry about this at all. and think that as long as they eventually get a normal reading, then everything is fine. Well, that may not be entirely true. One meta-analysis by Cohen and colleagues in 2019 looked at just that. They looked at about 27 different studies looking at over 25,000 individuals with white coat hypertension and found that three years later on follow-up when compared to those with normal blood pressure they actually had an increased risk for cardiovascular events and mortality and all-cause mortality what was also really interesting is that they also looked at those patients with the white coat effect which means they had the white coat effect in clinic but were essentially already on blood pressure medication for their underlying hypertension and they found that this group did not show the same poor outcomes that the white coat hypertension group showed so what i interpret this to mean is that it appears that the treatment of the white coat effect somehow makes the difference and that white coat hypertension isn't as benign as we may have thought it was now there's definitely room for nuance in this but i think it's safe to say that if you or somebody you know has a white coat hypertension it's at least worth it to make sure that their normal everyday blood pressures are stone cold normal and if there's any question about it all then they may benefit from treating their blood pressure more aggressively okay So let's say you have hypertension you decide you want to tackle this thing head on and lower that number, but you have no clue what to do. Well, fortunate for us, there are many things we can do to help this number go down. In fact, four big things to look for and get dialed in are things we've previously talked about on this podcast, and that includes improved diet, sleep, physical activity, and limiting tobacco from your life. I really do try to keep things simple by always bringing things back to the big ideas, but even then, simple doesn't mean it's easy, as many of the most important things are often very challenging to do. None of these pieces will do anything super dramatic to your blood pressure, and in fact, they'll probably only decrease by about five to ten points. But if you start adding these improvements together, then you can really start to make some progress. For example, it's estimated that systolic blood pressure could go down about five millimeters mercury with a six to eight percent decrease in body weight, limiting salt intake can decrease it by about eight millimeters mercury, and resistance and aerobic training might decrease it by about four to eight points. So although it doesn't look like much individually, that can really start to add up when you combine these strategies. That being said, sometimes despite our best efforts with lifestyle changes, we still can't reach our goals and may need to consider something like starting a medication. There are numerous medications that can be taken, and I can talk more about that on a different podcast if anyone's interested, but the overall effects are very similar. We just choose an individual medication based on the different individual factors of each patient. Medications will help lower it by about 8 millimeters mercury. but once again, this isn't an all-or-nothing situation. In fact, I would want you to be doing all the lifestyle changes on top of taking medication if need be, but simply being on a medication doesn't mean you shouldn't do the other things. Also, for some patients, while we're making lifestyle changes, we can start a medication and then eventually come off it, so it's not a guarantee that you're going to be on it for life. Once again, I'm always judicious about using medications, but there's definitely a time and place for them, but it should be made in the context of a joint decision between yourself and your physician to help figure out a plan that both of you are comfortable with. Okay. I think that's probably enough with the boring nerd talk for the day. If you stuck with me, mad props, because this is definitely not a sexy thing or a awesome or trending topic you'll see on YouTube, but I can promise you that controlling your blood pressure will do more for your health than all those quick hacks you'll see online combined. I hope this idea is a lot less to you now and that you feel empowered to check your blood pressure and continue to monitor it over time. If you found this helpful, it would mean the world to me if you liked, commented, subscribed, or shared with a friend. Thanks so much for joining me today. Now get off the internet, go be active, and enjoy your life. We'll see you next time. Disclaimer. This podcast is for entertainment, education, and informational purposes only. The topics discussed should not solely be used to diagnose, treat, or prevent any condition. The information presented here was created with an evidence-based approach, but please keep in mind that the science is always changing, and at the time of listening to this, there may be some new data that makes this information incomplete or inaccurate. Always seek the advice of your personal physician or qualified healthcare provider for questions regarding any medical condition.